All right. Well, are you guys on good behavior because it's my first day back and you sat down? Because usually I have to beg you for like 10 minutes to stop talking to each other so I can preach. Um, I, uh, I've been up for two months and uh, I did not spend that time cooking up some super sermon. We are just picking up right where we left off, off in Exodus. No, I really unplugged. I was just kind of walking around. Not really thinking about anything. Um, but we're going to be in Exodus chapter 19, starting at verse 7, uh, continuing literally the verse after from where I left off. Let's pray before we begin. God, I pray that as we open your word, that you would meet us through it, that Holy Spirit, you would give me the uh, clarity to communicate the message of your word so that your people benefit and we can glorify you and know you more. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you guys a picture. I want you to tell me what is missing. Here we go. Who, who said it? Water's missing, right? Those are big boats, aren't they? Like big. And what's around it? Desert. What is going on there? This is a picture of what was once the Aral Sea. Uh, located uh, kind of in the Russia, Uzbekistanish kind of area. And in the 1960s, this, this, was, a, this was a thriving, uh, whatchamacallit, sea maritime uh, economy going on. There was vacation villages on the sea. There was lots of, of shipping and trade. There was entire fishing operations. And then the Soviet government in the 1960s started diverting the water of the sea for something or other. I don't know what you'd use seawater for besides an ocean. <laughs> and they accidentally drained it. And so everything that was built up around it, right? Like it's very clear there used to be an ocean here, right? But it is gone and the signs that it once was there, are still everywhere. The, the villages are still there, right? There's piers going out into sand. There was very clearly something there. Human beings, in our natural state, there was a time when human beings were as connected to God as that whole situation around the Aral Sea was connected to the sea. It was an everyday living reality. When we look at the opening pages of Scripture, we see the first human beings in face-to-face -face fellowship with God. But when our first parents rebelled against God, that fellowship was broken. And now we are in a situation like that. We are cut off from God in, in the sense that they were connected to God. And the signs that we were once connected is, are still everywhere. Think about this. There is not a culture on planet Earth that did not, like, you know, wherever, wherever you look throughout history, there's always a, a spiritual impulse. There's always a reaching for something beyond. That's odd, wouldn't you say? If there's nothing there, where did we get that impulse? Why are we reaching out for something greater than us? Why are we reaching out for something that goes beyond us? 
almost as if that's really the way things were meant to be. And, and we're like those piers built out into the sand. Think about the kind of stories that really resonate in our culture. For instance, Harry Potter fans, me, yes. It's like the most popular story of the last 50 years or so. You realize it's like a retelling of the New Testament, right? And people are like, this is great. This resonates with my soul. Why? Why does it do that? Why, do, why don't the more like absurdist, nonsensical stories of, of like the really depressed Eastern European, Europe, Eastern European people really resonate in culture? I mean, if that's really the nature of the world, if the nature of the world is that we're, we're the result of some sort of accident, why don't nonsensical stories resonate? Why is it that especially the hero story resonates? This, is a, this might be getting too nerdy for some of us, but I'm a nerd. So Kurt Vonnegut, the writer who I like a whole lot, he actually said he was trying to discredit the New Testament by saying, hey, you know, the hero story is, is the New Testament story. And he's right, really, just taking the hero story. It's like, no, the hero story is actually built on what Jesus did, Mr. Vonnegut. Right? There's a reason it resonates. We were meant for that connection. Think about this. Now, while societies don't agree about what is right and wrong, every society has a right and wrong, right? Every society has morals. You do this, you don't do this. If there is a nothing but an accident, nothing but random chance that produced all of this, there is no should, right? You can't have morality without should, without must. If there's no intentionality behind creation, behind all things, there is no should. Is that making sense to everybody? It's almost as if this whole thing, and us especially, were created for this connection that is now cut off. What do we make of this situation? If we're clearly meant for this connection with God, if we look everywhere and we see the signs, yet we don't, we don't experience God in the same way that we experience each other, right? We just hang out. You want to get to know Kevin, you, it's easy. Right? You just go hang out with Kevin. He's really easy to hang out with. Super nice guy. But, you know, I call him up, we meet somewhere. Can't do that with God, right? I mean, if some of you can, let me know. I'd, I'd be very interested in that. What's going on? Why don't we experience the direct presence of God anymore? And yet we long for it. Yet we see the signs that it was supposed to be there all over the place. Well, what we're going to look at today in Exodus chapter 19 addresses exactly that question. Look with me at verse 7. If you don't have a Bible out, I would highly recommend it. Uh, and we also have the text on the screen for those of you who are panicking at that moment. We're like, is this a church where I have to bring my Bible? So we have it. Uh, so Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Now, you probably don't remember <laughs> two months ago what I preached, but in, in verses 1 through 6, right, we're in the Exodus story, and God delivered his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, the whole Red Sea thing, the whole journey through the wilderness, the manna, the fire pillar, all those things, and he brings his people to Mount Sinai, and they're going to meet God. And what God, the first thing God says is he initiates what's called a covenant. He says, will you be family with me? 
And so we're picking up right there. Moses tells the, the people what God said. God said, will you be my people? Look at verse 8. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And God says, will you? And they say, I do. They are entering into covenant together, God and people. Now listen. And the Lord said to Moses, behold. Now, when you come across a behold in the text, that is a, you know, exclamation point at the front of the sentence. He says, I am coming. Now, in the Hebrew, there's actually an extra, uh, you know, first-person article. It's, I myself am coming. So you, that's another emphasis. It's, behold, I myself am what? Coming to you. In a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So what did God just say? He said, I'm coming. Now, those of you who have been tracking with the Exodus story, you're like, hang on a second. So all of the plagues in Egypt, God wasn't there? Not really. And the, the manna and the quail in the desert, that wasn't God being there? Not in the sense, no. And the, the fire pillar and the cloud that led them day and night, that wasn't God being there? Not yet. And you say, well, what's this going to be like? What actually happens when the actual presence of God shows up and moves in with his people for the first time? Well, let's take a look. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Consecrate means uh, get ready ceremonially, start washing. Let them wash their garments. Remember, they've been journeying through the wilderness not stopping to do laundry. So they stink at this point. And be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. These people are going to experience the direct presence of God. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. Whoa! That's intense, indeed. Do you hear what it said? It said, my presence is coming. Make sure you don't even approach the mountain. Don't even, like his presence is going to be at the top. Don't even touch the base of the mountain. And if anyone starts approaching, don't kill them with a close-range weapon. Kill them with a long-range weapon. This is intense, right? When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Now that is not saying like women are dirty. It is saying don't have sex for three days. Focus up. Presence of God is coming. We, are all, we all need to be on the same page. So God's presence showing up seems to be a big deal. It's, it's several levels above going to your grandma's house where, you know, at grandma's house, there's rules to observe. You take your shoes off. You make sure you're wearing your nice clothes. This is like 
if you approach the mountain. Now, we're going to see that the reason that they're not to approach the mountain is not because God is mean or, you know, I heard stories of, of Prince. You know, you couldn't make eye contact with Prince. Like I knew a guy who was a bus driver for Prince. When Prince would come on the bus, he would literally have to avert his eyes. It's not that. That's fun. I have a lot of those stories. <laughs> it's not that. Instead, we're going to see that it's, it's for the people's safety. Right? Have you ever, you ever been in a situation where it's like, everybody stay back and, you know, like, like remember the Cliffs of Moher in Ireland? I've been there. There's, there's like a big thing that says, don't, like, you'll die if you go over here. And there's always somebody who climbs over the fence, right? And when somebody climbs over the, fe over the fence, they're like, well, that guy's doing it. I'm going to go too. People die on those cliffs every single year, right? And so one person going, it's like, oh, he's going. Let's all go because God's presence is perilous. To be in the, we cannot be in the presence of God. Let's look what happens when he shows up in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings. That is plural, thunders and lightnings. And a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. The Hebrew strains to express how loud this trumpet blast was. It like runs out of superlative words. So that all the people in the camp trembled. Uh, has anybody ever been, like, close to it, on a mountain in a thunderstorm? Okay, so, yeah, one time, so we, we, we have um, Forced Family Fun Day, which is, we make our kids go hiking, and we went to this one trail, this is several years ago now, Rivka was in a backpack on my back, uh, Rivka, who's nine now, and uh, she was asleep at this point, we were going up Silver Dollar trail, which is way above, like, tree line, and there was, like, some clouds gathering. Sharon's like, we should go back. I'm like, no, nah, just clouds. <laughs> and then it starts raining a little bit. I'm like, still good. And then it starts raining a little more in earnest. I was like, okay, we should turn around. And, like, as we start to walk back, there is, like, we're up with mountain goats, okay? And there's, like, this crash of thunder. I, from the top of my head, to the soles of my feet, I felt like the, the, whatchamacallit of it, the fear of it. Like, it was like, boom! I, I can't do that. That wasn't very loud compared. It's really underselling it. But all of my girls burst out crying. Like, Rivka on my back just started crying. <laughs> Frankie, Frankie goes, we're all gonna die! <laughs> like, that's how loud it was, okay? That plus a lot, is what they're experiencing. They're in the camp, way away from the mountain, and they are freaking out in the camp. Verse 17, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. Now a kiln is a fire that is so hot it melts metal. Okay, so that level. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. So what's the presence of God like? It's like an epic thunderstorm plus an earthquake and a volcanic explosion. All right? Stand back. 
And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So why is it that we can't have immediate experience of God's presence? It's because it's deadly. It's because as we are, we cannot look at God and live. Uh, several years ago, a friend of mine, single dad, he had a, a, a son, and this is a very sad story, but anyway, uh, he had cancer, right? And as his son was undergoing cancer treatment, there was one part of it where his son had to be sequestered because his, his, his immune system was so weak and like, you know, leaning on his dad, he was a great dad, was kind of his only strength and and there was this really difficult part where his dad could only stand on the other side of the glass and, and, and had to just have a relationship with his son through the glass. Why? Because if he had been in the room with him, his presence was dangerous for his son. This is the exact issue that we see as the big problem of why can't we just restore fellowship with God? Why can't God just, boom, put it back the way it was? It's because as we are, we cannot stand in the holy presence of God and live. Now that word holy, uh, we, we hear it and we, we usually use it with holier than thou, uh, but holy, it means, it means moral perfection and it also means God's unapproachable power. You know, th think of like Niagara Falls. Think of a nuclear reactor. It's, it's that level of it's something that is just so powerful, we are too small. We cannot stand in God's presence and live. Seems like a pretty insurmountable problem, doesn't it? This, this is actually why, you know, a, a lot of the time when I, I have conversations with people, they're, they're like, you know, I just want to, I just want to know God. I, I feel like I don't need dogma. I don't need like a religion in the way. I don't need to, you know, worry about Jesus. Just me and God, immediate, right? Like uh, I'm spiritual without being religious. And that's, that's fine and good. We're all, we're all trying to, we're all searching for God. But here's the thing. I know that those folks have never actually encountered God because they're still alive, Right? This is a major problem. It is one of the major problems of the Bible. And, and we're gonna, as, we, as we look through the rest of the story of Scripture, God's presence being among an unholy people, it requires all kinds of, of, uh, of arrangements to keep the people safe. How does God overcome this problem? How is it that we can talk about having relationship with God? If God's presence is deadly to us, if we cannot approach it. Well, look with me at, at verse 20. It says, The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. You see, that, that's God's concern, is that his presence is dangerous. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come, bringing up Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through 
come up to the Lord, lest we break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Have you noticed what Moses has been doing? He's been going up the mountain. Comes back down, but then it goes back up. Where it's death for everybody else to go, Moses can go. Interesting, right? Moses is what's called the mediator. Moses is the one who is enabling relationship between God and his people. We, we were just in, um, uh, well, I was on sabbatical. We spent a week in France that we weren't expecting to. And, um, you know, I, I could fake my way through Italian because I know a little Spanish when we were in Italy. When we got to France, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I, I have no idea how to communicate here. But we had an ace in, a hole, in the hole because our nine-year-old has been going to French school the last two years. So we're like, how do you say this? And she'd tell us, right? So, or she would just ask the question for us, right? She was, she was mediating for us. Those two things that, that couldn't communicate with each other, me and someone else in France, uh, she was mediating. Make sense? That's the role that Moses is playing here. And we see Moses doing three things. We see him acting as prophet. He conveys God's words to the people. Have you guys noticed that? And also, he consecrated them. He led them in cleansing themselves. He's functioning as a priest. And he's been leading the people. He's functioning as king. Even in chapter 18, the, the chapter just before this, we see Moses actually, you know, handing down judgments as a king, right? So Moses is acting as this mediator, as this prophet and priest, prophet, priest, and king. This is God's solution to this problem of how can he restore relationship with this people who cannot be in his presence. The answer is a mediator. In this case, it's Moses. And after Moses, there are many mediators of varying quality throughout the Old Testament. But none of them ever really are able to restore relationship. But then comes Jesus. God's ultimate solution to this problem is a better mediator. It's him becoming mediator himself in the person of Jesus. First Timothy uh, chapter 2 verse 5 says this, it says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus permits us to be in the presence of God. What is the job of the people? What is our response? If God provides this perfect mediator, this perfect prophet, priest, and king, our response is to believe on the mediator. It's to accept him. It's to receive him. It's, like, it's kind of like um, one of my favorite stories. Uh, I, uh, I used to play in a band uh, way back when, and there was a time where we were between booking agents. And so when you are between booking agents, you can get wined and dined a little bit. It's pretty cool because they're all trying. It's like dating or whatever. And, uh, and one of the, one of the uh, suitors, if you will, was uh, the William Morris Agency. Um, and in the music industry around Nashville, there was something known as the credential, okay, the, the William Morris credential. And if you could get the William Morris credential, it would open every door in the city. You could get in anywhere, any concert, 
Grand Old Opry or with the Ryman, no problem. Get the credential. So I wanted to see if I could get the credential. So I called up our contact. I was like, hey, uh, the Warp Tour is an old punk rock festival tour. A lot of bands I liked. I wanted to go. So I, I called up William Morris. I was like, hey, could I, could I borrow the credential? They're like, sure. We're trying to sign you. We'll give you anything you want at this point. So I didn't know if this was really going to work. And so I, I roll up to the Warp Tour. I didn't buy a ticket, nothing. Didn't clear it with anybody. I just have this credential. That's it, right? And there's like this long line of cars, and then there's the VIP. I'm like, let's see. <laughs> let's see if this thing works. So I roll up, and my car was not nice, all right? Like, it wasn't, I didn't look important. I wasn't important. <laughs> um, and uh, I roll down the window, and they're like, oh, sorry, sir. This is for VIPs only. I was like, oh? How about now? It's like, oh, I'm sorry, sir. Please drive right through. You can park right over here. And then, you know, like there's the general admission, all the suckers, and then there's the VIP will call. And I'm like, well, that's where I go. So I walk up, and I'm like, here's where I find out if this really works. And they're like, sir, do you have a ticket? I was like, no. Is your name on the list? No. But I have this. And they're like, oh, come on through. And like, so I just start walking around and seeing how, how much I could get away with at the Warp Tour with this credential. I'm like, oh, there's the backstage area with shrimp and beer. I walk in, <laughs> no joke, there was shrimp and beer. And I walk in, I was like, hey, can I get some shrimp and beer? They're like, are you supposed to be back here? I was like, maybe you should ask my friend, you know? <laughs> They're like, hey, here you go. I, I go, Rancid was playing one of my favorite bands, and I'm watching the show, and then I was like, oh, maybe I could watch, you know, kind of see it from backstage. And so I walk around, and, you know, there's like the, the guardian ogres at the top of the stairs. They're like, you can't come here. I was like, are you sure about that? And they're like, we're sorry, sir. Come right up. <laughs> if you want to play the drums, go ahead. Right? So wherever I went, as long as I had the credential, I myself, like it's not like, oh, Matt Bojinsky's here. Let's let him in. It had nothing to do with me. What let me in everywhere was the credential. This is the same idea. In and of ourselves, we cannot stand in the presence of God. In and of ourselves, we, we are not holy. And, and our presence and the presence of a holy God, it, it, it's death to us. We cannot do it. But we have a perfect mediator in Jesus Christ. This is what the scripture tells us. That it has nothing to do with how good you are. It has nothing to do with your performance. You do not prove your worthiness. It's all what God has done for you. Listen. We run away from God and God pursues us. We have this idea we're out here searching for God. God is searching for us. God has moved heaven and earth. He became a man. He went to a cross so that you and I could be in his presence. The real question is, do you want to see God? Do you want to experience what it was supposed to be like? I realize that in this life, the, the, mo the greatest mystical experience that we could possibly have, the greatest feeling of connection with God is nothing compared to what awaits us in the kingdom of God when all things are restored. Do you want to see him? Do you want to know what it is to be truly human, to be connected to God in the same way when that, that sea used to be there and all that was built around 
There is nothing for you to do except accept the credential. It's to say yes to Jesus, our mediator, who is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. Let's pray with Please pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that it is nothing that we have done but all what you have done. God, I, I myself, and, and we as a congregation, we want to turn to you in faith. We want to see God. We want to be in